We have reached one of those points in the history of the church where it's more important than ever to emphasize and to highlight and to stress the genuine nature of authentic Christianity. And learning to love is the essence of authentic Christianity. Jesus referred to it as the greatest commandments. When someone was asked him what was the greatest commandment, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now the modern evangelical might just say, well, to love God and believe you're going to heaven because you uh, believe in Jesus. That might be the greatest commandment, to believe in Jesus so that you can go to heaven when you die. The problem is that that kind of um, uh, mentality, that kind of evangelistic mentality that limits salvation to a vertical uh, aspect, meaning your relationship with God alone, is not only unbiblical, it is also incredibly destructive, not only to the gospel, but to the family and to our relationships with other people in the world, in, the, in our culture, and uh, just as, as a, a member of the human race. In contrast to that is the biblical witness to the fact that those who are in Christ, who possess eternal life, love. They learn to love, not only love God, but to learn to love each other. And not in some sentimental, pious moralism, but instead in a genuine Christ-like love. That's the key. That's the key. What characterized the ministry of Jesus was certainly the power of his miracles, was certainly the um, profundity of his teaching, the heavenly wisdom that he displayed every time he opened his lips. But above all was the love, the love that he had for the Father, the unconditional obedience that that love produced, and the love that he had for his disciples. He loved them completely until the end, it says in John chapter 13. And the love he has for his own, his own sheep, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So we must avoid this kind of island Christianity, this thing that I'm an island unto myself, and it's just about me and Jesus, and that um, while I may not wish you ill, I really don't care about learning to love you either. But learning to love is to learn to be mature, to be spiritually mature. And the chief evidence, and I can't stress this enough, the chief evidence that you possess eternal life. Now, let me just read to you some texts so we can be clear on this biblically. And and uh, I'm going to keep this brief because I don't want to overwhelm you with these things. But I, I want you to be uh, very clear that the proposition, if you will, of the gospel is this, that the gospel produces healthy, loving relationships. Period. It's only the gospel that produces healthy, loving relationships. It is impossible in a fallen world, operating out of the flesh, to ever hope that you can have loving, healthy relationship. It's just not in the recipe. On the other hand, in the gospel, we have the redemption at work within our hearts and minds that 
absolutely produces and recovers, restores to us the ability to be godlike, Christ-like. To walk in the Spirit is to walk in the Spirit and do works of love. Not works of merit. That's where the medieval theology fell off the wagon. They believed that it was works of merit in order to gain your acceptance with God, to gain justification in some future date. So in 1 John 5.13, it says this. He sums up his little letter with, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that, that's the Greek purpose clause, you may know that you have eternal life. Let me read that again. These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Now let's drop back to John chapter 4, so that we can see uh, what he's speaking of here. He says in 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Period. Let me interject here. Since the 60s, especially into the 70s and 80s with the, the, the crusade mentality that we had in evangelism, to be born again is a big deal. Jimmy Carter was the first born-again president that we, that we thought. Uh, so that phrase, born again, became unfortunately trivialized. Uh, to be born again simply means that you somehow had prayed the prayer and that you were in the church now, and uh, regardless of your, of your conduct, you were a born-again Christian, which means that you just, you usually avoided the grosser moral sins and tried to not drink or chew or go with people who do. That was what it meant to be born again. But here, what the Bible is stressing to us is that, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, quite clearly, John is telling us, if you don't love one another, then you are not born of God and don't know God. I don't know how I can be much clearer. If you chronically, habitually refuse to learn to love, then you are in a place of chronic, habitual rebellion to God himself. And how can that be characteristic of someone who's born again? So let's go on now. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Again, John is making it vividly clear here. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his Son, his only begotten Son, into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. If we're going to love like God, we must be prepared to love unilaterally. Now, we would always hope that in all of our relationships, that the love of God would be reciprocal. That everyone would love us 
as we love them. But that's not how God loves. God loved us when we were yet enemies. God loves and redeems and justifies the ungodly. So we love, not, not in order to be loved, not in order to manipulate others, but because that's what God does. And this is love, not that we have loved God. See, this is an important thing. We, we, God did not choose to save us in His Son because we were so lovable or that we loved Him so much. Rather, He loved us and sent His Son to be propitiation for us while we were in our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's His conclusion. No one has, no one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That is how we know the love of God. We can experience the love of God on our own. We can have some kind of a spiritual awakening and even an emotional experience where we come to know the love of God is poured out in our hearts. That is possible. But those who have that, those who possess that, will naturally, by consequence, be those who share it. One of the things that John is saying here is that in our love for one another, the love of God is incarnate, if you will. It becomes fleshed out. We are able to see the love of God in our love for one another. By this, that, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. That's how we do it. So we know we are born of God because we love one another. And we love one another regardless of the reciprocation of it, though we hope that's always the case. And it's our love for one another that gives day-to-day, -day, very real, concrete evidence of God's love for us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. God has enabled us to love one another. So this is not a command for us just to buck up and love one another. This is a command for us to walk in the Spirit. We have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. See how those things are distinct but inseparable? If you're born of God, you'll love one another. And you'll confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Those are two distinct but inseparable aspects of being a Christian. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has in us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this, love has been perfected within us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. You hear the emphasis there? If we truly believe and understand the great love with which God showed us when we were at our worst, when we were turning our backs to Him, 
when we were walking away from him, when we were in a state of ungodly sin, deserving only of wrath, God restrained and forbeared his wrath. And in forbearance, he uh, instead chose to love us and to manifest that love by giving us his son. And then having given us his son as a propitiation for our sins, he gave us the gift of regeneration, a new raising from spiritual death and imparted to us the gift of faith so that we are united with his son. And now we are called to love as did his son. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. If someone says, I love God, he says in verse 20, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. There you go again. The incarnation continues. What was so powerful and so beautiful and remains so powerful and beautiful about the incarnation of God in his Son is that God was made visible. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, says John, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And that manifestation, that, that flesh and blood reality, where we bring material reality to the love of God, continues in our love for one another. The love of God is not intended to be invisible. The love of God is not intended to be a theory or an ideal. Instead, the love of God is to be the very heart of our existence, the very heart of our Christianity, the very central motivating factor in our profession and our daily walk with Christ. And we learn that God loves us by incarnating the love of God towards one another. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. So are we learning to love? That's the question. It's impossible. It's the primary thing we must do. It's impossible to be a Christian if we're not learning to love. And I might challenge you, in these days, when many who hear my voice are likely not Christians. Oh, they may have made some kind of a profession. They may be baptized. They may be attending church. But in our day, as has often been the case throughout church history, there's a lot of church goers. And church going does not equate to being in Christ. Being in church does not equate to being in Christ. And saying you believe in Jesus does not equate to being in Jesus if you are refusing to learn to love one another. So what's the most important thing today that you can do to find assurance that you are indeed in Christ? You can commit yourself to learning to love as Christ loved, as Christ loves you, as the relational triune God with whom we are in fellowship loves. So I encourage you to read this again. First John 
5:13, so you get the point. And then 1 John 4, 7 through 21, read this time and again until it begins to change your mind. You know, we learn, psychologists tell us, that if we tell our brain something often enough, it'll believe us. <laughs> that would be translated in, in the Bible as being re having our minds renewed. We are not to be conformed to this world who only knows how to hate, manipulate, and control, and exercise power over one another. No, we're not to be conformed to that. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, a mind that's set on works of love. Amen.